Welcome, everybody, to Shared Insights, the podcast from BA Insight. My name is Pete Wright, and today we're talking about security, search security specifically, and the unique complexity that comes with administering a system that is both secure and fluid for your users. To help us dive into this subject is our very own John Linker, pilot, tennis player, snowboarder, renaissance man, and solutions architect for BA Insight. John, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. That's that's quite an intro. Thank you. Yeah, hey, you're the man who lives it. <laughs> Before we dig into uh, some of the technology and the implications of our choices around these search tools, uh, let's talk a little bit about your role as a solutions architect. You're obviously deep into search. How do you describe what you do for your customers at BA Insight? Well, we often have customers that have problems with search. Either they're just getting started in the search world with, from an enterprise perspective, or they have that established. They're just having difficulty making it have any value or reaching any value with their implementation. So they come to us and we offer a lot of products in the search arena that make things better, make value obtained and, and, and uh, realized in an enterprise environment, which you know can range from thousands of users down to you know tens of users. And so we have to be flexible in that regard to, to uh, be sensitive to the difficulties that someone's facing and how to solve that problem for them with search. And then as far as our products go, those obviously have their own benefits to that solution. But as a solutions architect, I need to actually make those products work with the customer. And everything is very subjective. You know, no customer environment is the same as the next. So there's a lot of, uh, of customization and configuration that goes into that work. How often do you run into a customer scenario where where you you are asked to come in to add, as you say, to add value, and it feels more like triage, that there was a misunderstanding of the investment, uh, and that what is required is based on some, or or what is required to achieve the solution they desired is not what they have in place? Well, that often happens, actually. We have quite a few problems when it comes to um, not understanding what search does. And a lot of people have a misconception about a search engine as compared to something like a database. And when we run into those situations, we try to be, um, triage is a good word, but we try to educate, I guess you could say, or we try to enlighten in terms of what a search engine does and what to expect it to do versus maybe most people's traditional experience, which is with a database. We have had uh, folks on the show, as you mentioned, we've already talked to, to organizations that have you know many, many thousands of users. I imagine even when you're talking about just an off-the-shelf installation without any of their complex sort of customer-specific on-prem solutions that are required to tie into each other, we're talking about what can be an extremely complicated internal enterprise experience. What is it that is so complex about search security then that brings you to this show today? Well, there are a number of factors here. And I guess the major factor is it's complex to begin with. It's inherently complex because security has to honor both the person that's searching for something and what the the content or the document that the person might be searching for has set on it, which would allow that person to view that item or not. So you have an, an inherent complexity with everything ranging from logging into Windows, for example, to logging into something like SharePoint. And then once you're into SharePoint, are you allowed to see documents from source A versus source B? And all of these complexities are, are layered on top of each other. 
And so then when it comes to search, it's very sensitive because now we're talking about an entire corpus of items that certain people need to see certain items in this corpus and other people should not be allowed to see certain items. And in order to mix those two things together and make sure that you reveal items appropriately, you have to take into consideration all the complexities with search security because you have so much of a heterogeneous world out there. And we have source systems ranging from uh, products from companies like HP to IBM to SharePoint items themselves to a custom database connector that I just I just wrote myself to to hook up to an Oracle database. Any number of different sources you can think of, we've probably ingested that content into SharePoint, and then we have to work on the security for it. With SharePoint, and most people listening to this would probably be familiar with the uh, the Active Directory component of Microsoft software, mm-hmm. and Active Directory certainly is is the main component of security when it comes to the Windows world. And SharePoint obviously leverages that. But when you introduce these other systems, that's where the complexity and the heterogeneous aspect of the discussion comes in. Because now we're talking about systems that may not have ever been designed to work with AD, or they didn't have security in mind at all, and someone manually crafted security in order to protect those items as they were planned to be Um, crawled into SharePoint. In terms of working that out and and putting it all together, uh, one of our products, our connector framework, is good at identifying different source systems security and meshing that into something that Active Directory can use, which then can be used by SharePoint as a single means of authentication. How has uh, has SharePoint evolved and Microsoft's work evolved to help make this easier? For you. One of the ways that's improved greatly is from SharePoint 2010 to 2013 and then subsequently 2016. Because in SharePoint 2010, the the late binding approach of security was pretty much your, your only option in terms of um, how to secure documents from one system to another, meaning some different source system to uh, your SharePoint system, of course, without our connector framework. And by late binding, I mean something that's commonly referred to as a real-time security trimming. And that's very, very cumbersome when it comes to refining a result set for a user. So let's say you you log into SharePoint 2010 and you run a search and you get you know a million items in the result set. And then you have 1,000 of those items that that user is allowed to see. Well, real-time trimming would require 999,000 or so items to be trimmed out of that search result set. And that's very expensive and it can be very painful in terms of the search experience for users. So when we move to 2013, we have the ability to not use late binding security and we have early binding security, which is where our connector framework comes in. And what does that do for the user experience? That allows you to label a document with security or brand a document, I guess you could say, with security at the time that you ingest it so that when a search is run on the front end by the user that result set only is going to show what that user had permission to see and I don't have to worry about that at the time I run the query I can worry about that when I actually take the documents into my index and so that's the major advantage there because the complexity 
is reduced significantly and you have quite a bit of time saved on the front end for that person running the query. And, and by time, I mean if you're sitting in front of the computer and you click the magnifying glass to run the search and you're sitting there waiting while the, the animation is spinning and you're not seeing results, chances are you're being your result set is being filtered real time because you're not allowed to see certain things. And in order to preserve that integrity, that has to be done. Whereas early binding, that's already done for you. And you should not see some sort of slowdown in that regard. It should be pretty transparent. Well, let's talk then a little bit about BA Insights connectors. How does that uh, tie into um, this crazy complex security model that we that you're talking about here? Well, you have the ability, primarily you have the ability to not ultimately care about the security of the source system and how it's different than Active Directory. So, and one of the most beautiful features of our product is that I can write with our framework, I can write directly into AD for security groups that may be represented in my source system, but not in my Active Directory implementation. And the the convenience and the and the luxury of that is that people don't have to worry about replicating a, a, a system that is, let's say, completely different than SharePoint. For example, um, FileNet, IBM's FileNet. For example, you could take that system and have 100,000 security groups in it, and you want to get that data into SharePoint, but you also want to honor those security groups. Well, we have the ability to take those groups and write them into AD, and of course, that is scary for AD people. You know, you talk to anyone that is an administrator for AD, they get very nervous about you writing groups or doing anything in Active Directory, which is, is a valid concern. Hey, we have... 100,000 or so items, we don't want you to write that many things in AD. Well, we have a mechanism for that. Like I've said, we we think about this this sort of thing ahead of time. And this is one of my favorite features of the connector security, actually. We can, we can take a source system group and set a threshold on whether it's expanded or not into individual user IDs. So for example, if you have a, uh, a security source system security mapping that has uh, a thousand different groups and of that a hundred of them have more than a thousand users and so that means 900 of those groups are under a thousand users that's a very big hinge point in group membership and that's the one thing that I look at whenever I get a new project and we're discussing security is where are your hinge points? Do you have a whole bunch of groups with one or two members? Do you have a whole bunch of groups with 50 or so or less? Or do you have a whole bunch of groups with 100? And then so on. And where are our hinge points? And one of our one of our best features in that framework is I can take a threshold, a, a hinge point, and determine that's the line where I'm going to stop um, writing new groups in Active Directory and only make those groups expanded into individual users. So we, in effect, discard the group ID altogether, and we won't write anything into Active Directory. We'll simply take a group that has 10 people in it, for example, in a source system, and change that group ID into 10 user IDs, and then write that onto the document. So we won't even touch AD. And what I have found in, in most cases that I've, most customers I've had, most of their, a vast majority of their security groups in their source system have memberships so low that it's not worth creating a group in Active Directory. So we only have a few that, that actually matter 
And when an AD administrator hears that, their relief level goes way up and their tension level goes way down because now instead of, oh my gosh, 100,000 groups are coming out of, of DMS into Active Directory, it went from that to, oh, only 100 of 100,000 are going to go into Active Directory. I can live with that. To leverage AD, to read AD, but not disrupt AD by writing Correct. to AD. That's fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about how you, you help AD administrators feel more comfortable. I imagine them as Vikings with a giant wall around them <laughs> and spears uh, to protect their assets. And, and how, how do you knock on that giant door and say, you know, we want to make you feel comfortable with this? What is it that you, that you what's your approach? Well, the first thing that I, I do in that conversation is tell them that we've thought of this. It's, it's perfectly normal, I think. And I've never been an AD administrator, but in my experience with them, it's perfectly normal to assume that anything that wants access to Active Directory is going to be a problem. The first thing I tell them is we've thought of this and we have mitigated risk to AD and we've tried to assuage any of your concerns or your, or your um, complaints about what a process would typically do to write to AD ahead of time. And the first thing in that list of, of items that we've thought about ahead of time is how do I protect the rest of AD? It's, it's fine if I want to silo this process. So if I'm crawling this source system and I want to honor its security and put that into SharePoint, that might be just a small slice of your AD pie. So you may have a whole bunch of other systems in your Windows world that, that depend on AD and leverage it. And this SharePoint piece is just a small percentage of that or whatever percentage it may be, but it's just a piece. So in order to mitigate risk to the entirety of AD, we allow administrators of our framework or, or um, SharePoint administrators to select a particular OU in a domain and only write groups that we are trying to replicate from a source system into that OU. And then we further try to to uh, put an element of safety in there with a particular Windows account that only has access to that OU. So, of course, if you're going to manage group membership and write groups, you do need a level of permission that would make someone nervous if they were an AD administrator. So to bring them back to a, a, a level of comfort, we introduced this idea of an account who is confined to a particular OU. And I, I like to think of it as if you if you're on a farm and you have bulls and cows on a farm and you have one bull that has a lot of power you want to maybe try to keep him penned up in a particular area that's kind of like this except in a very technical sense uh, so then it, you know you have uh, uh, administrators who come back to you and say you know this the Penning up your bull is not enough. You you don't get access. Um, I, it's my understanding that you have uh, tools inside BA Insight that can help mitigate that and, and give you at least a, a secure access solution when you talk about advanced security. Yes, we do have another option. So in that context, advanced security means we are going to eliminate AD from this equation altogether, and we are going to provide our own list of ACLs, grant and deny ACLs for documents, and we will manage the entire security process ourselves within our framework. That means that any concerns you have about AD are now moot because we're not going to reference AD for users. We're not going to 
assume that we need to validate a user and a source system against a user and AD. We are simply going to come up with our own translation for a, a source system user and keep him in our own proprietary security mechanism, which we can then match up to AD on the other end. So it's kind of like putting a, a, um, another layer onto the complexity of the process, which is why I always try to recommend that we use AD. But if that's simply not an option, this is the route we can use. And it, it does involve a little bit more of an expensive query time experience, and it is a little more complex. But we will, we will put another entry in the phone book, for example, for a user. So if Joe Smith is an AD user and Joe Smith has a login to this source system that someone wants to crawl documents from into SharePoint, so there's a, there's a Joe Smith in the source system world, there's a Joe Smith in the AD world, and then there would be a Joe Smith in the advanced security under BA Insight world. And so then we have, instead of two identities for that person, we would now have three, but we're going to ignore one of them. So it's like it's like a different version of the same person, and we're, we're imitating AD, but we're not actually using it. In terms of just ongoing administration, what kind of a cost comes with that? The main cost that I've seen has been on the front end. So one of the things we were talking about earlier was the late binding approach to security and how that could cause a poor user experience. This introduces a little bit of that again. If you go the advanced security route, you have some concerns with uh, query side performance. Now, are they major concerns? No. It's not something that we would, I think, even present as an option if it were a major concern. However, sure. compared to AD, it is not as fast and it's not as efficient because you're now introducing that query side trimming again that SharePoint 2010 was limiting you to but we do it better than than SharePoint was doing it natively. It's just that inherently it's not going to be better than matching up users and groups against AD. For people listening to this who are thinking, okay, I want to, I, I need to go one of these two routes. Uh, which, uh, what are the scenarios, or what's a good scenario for for where you might have to make the decision to uh, to not go AD and to use advanced security? When would you when would you say uh, I have to do advanced security because of XYZ constraints? Sometimes that's directly due to corporate policy, for example. Um, I've had customers that have their corporate policy that no third-party tool under any circumstances is permitted to do anything in Active Directory. And that's a, a hardline policy, but it's not uncommon. Um, so that would be a situation where I would try to convince the customer, look, you know, we're not we're not going to do what you think we would do in AD. And, and we have plenty of experience in doing this. And we've thought about all of these factors ahead of time, like I mentioned. But, you know, they might come back and say, I agree with you and I want to do it, but my policy won't allow me to do it. So that's so, one scenario. So, yeah, it's, it, sounds, it sounds, you know, certainly more political than technical. Yeah, it can get very political yeah. because then you have people that are vying for control of Active Directory, and it's it does get into that arena. Are there specific technical considerations where you might actually suggest not having access to AD? No, there, there isn't. a. I haven't come across a scenario where I think that using the advanced security route is better. Okay. I, I think of our advanced security route as something that's very capable and will do the job exactly as you expect it to be done. 
However, to me, it is a fallback strategy. How do you work to convince? I'm asking you specifically, right? When you sit down with a customer, how do you help them understand that AD is is sort of meant to be used this way, that it's meant to be used to grant uh, to give advanced security, and I'm saying not advanced security, the the product, but it's it's meant to give you access to documents when you need them and to secure them when you need to secure them, uh, and actually move forward in this most efficient fashion. What is your what's your your approach? Well, there are a couple of main things that I try to get across to a customer that's hesitant to do this, and one of them is that. Uh, Active Directory, like you just said, is meant to be used this way. However, there are things that have occurred in the Active Directory world that are, I guess, byproducts or unexpected consequences or as really technical people sometimes refer to bugs as undocumented features. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is one of those things. One of the things is, is Kerberos token bloat. So people are very nervous about writing into AD because at some point, and it's usually not even in their realm of awareness or consciousness, but in a big enough company, you have people creating groups and adding themselves to groups and doing all these things left and right in Active Directory. And over time, it bloats itself to uh, into a problem. And there, I mean, anyone that's worked with Active Directory in a big enough company is familiar with Kerberos token bloat and how it can all of a sudden prevent someone from logging into any Windows system and causes a nightmare for Active Directory administrators. So that, because of that experience, I think over the years, people have been very gun-shy when it comes to letting anything into AD. And one of the things I, I use in a counter-argument to that is that our product is actually aware of such a thing, and it it specifically prevents a number of groups a user can belong to in our world because of Kerberos token bloat, we're aware of things like this. So we will try to take measures to prevent it. So let's talk a little bit about something you're, uh, I, I always like to look at this as something you're proud of. You know, I know you, you're, you're kind of work on these solutions and in, in code and tying systems together. And, and, uh, and yet, uh, I am sure that you have a story about a customer experience that you're proud of. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how you've, you have solved a problem with a, a little bit more of a specific example. Can you? Sure. I had a law firm. Um, a major U.S. law firm that had an enormous SharePoint 2013 implementation with about uh, 15 to 20 million searchable items. And that alone didn't make it enormous, but with the amount of source systems and the number of users and groups, not to mention the ethical walls that um, other third-party products were were leveraged to um, to satisfy walling in the, in the legal world, uh, all of those things put together caused a scenario that made it, to me, an enormous project because there was just a lot to consider. And one of the things that they hesitated, of course, which is what we've been talking a lot about, is I don't want you to write into AD. Is there any way that we can avoid this because we've been bitten by Kerberos token bloat? We have users in so many groups right now that we can't keep track of it, and we just don't want to add to that. One of their major concerns was we have you know, 300,000 user groups in our DMS. And, and anyone that's worked in the legal world, or even if you haven't, you may be familiar with how dependent law firms are on their DMS. Even when they change the DMS from one vendor to another, it's, you know, that project itself can take years. So this, this is an important thing to consider when 
you're designing a solution that involves security this complex. And their major hang-up was we have 300,000 groups. We have obviously no confidence that writing those 300,000 groups into Active Directory is going to result in anything good. Of course, there's the concern about AD replication. So once I start writing thousands and thousands of things into AD, I now have to replicate that across multiple servers or multiple locations, and we start getting into network latency and all kinds of other concerns. So they obviously had that concern. And I said, well, one of the features of our product that I hadn't yet mentioned um, in our discussion was how we write groups and how we determine whether we need to write a group or not. And so they had this major hang up with these 300,000 groups. And I said, well, how many of these groups have over 200 members, let's say, 300 members as an example. Mm -hmm. And doing a little bit of forensic investigation into DMS, over the years, they had only created about 75 groups that actually had over 200 members. The majority of their 300,000 groups were people or uh, groups under three, under um, 200 people. Three, I'm sorry, out of 300,000 groups, they'd only created 75? That had more than 200, more than 200 people. members. Right. And one of the things I didn't mention was um, in, the ter- in the context of writing security onto a searchable document. There is a limit because it is data after all. And right. you know you can't just write an endless list of users onto a grant or a deny for a document. At some point, you're going to bump into a limit. That limit in, in for all intents and purposes in Windows Server 2012 and beyond is about 1,000 people or 1,000 IDs, so groups or users in combination, about 1,000. So when you have a a group that's over 200 members, you have now 200-plus individual IDs that have to be written somewhere. And one of the great things about our Connector framework is we can take a group that is under 200, let's say. You can set this threshold anywhere you want on the spectrum from 1 to 500. And we can take a group that's under this threshold and just expand all those individual users onto a list. So out of 300,000 groups, we had approximately 299,000 and whatever, you know, 925 of them, where we could ignore the fact that it was a group and just take the people that were in that group and individually put them on a grant or deny list for a document. And when the AD administrator heard that, he said, well, that's not a big deal. (laughs) And I said, exactly, because we've thought of this ahead of time. We don't want you to have to write 300,000 groups because invariably when you look at a a lot of law firm security, and a lot of law firms have been in in the electronic world for, you know, at least a decade, if not two, you see a lot of things that have happened over time as in, you know, they've got groups out there that have zero members. They have groups that have one member. You know, they have groups that have two members. And all of those things are just noise when it comes to security and an active directory that's almost pointless to have a group of just one person. So we eliminate that noise and we allow those those groups that have such a small membership to be written as individual users. And therefore the overall impact AD was I I mean I don't I don't have the math in front of me but divide 75 by 300,000 and you get a percentage of the amount of groups we actually wrote into Active Directory. What is the savings in terms of their overall performance cost based on on something like that, on that size of a document set? If you have now only 75 groups to worry about versus 300,000, you've now written 
so much less into Active Directory that your replication concern is now no longer really valid. Um, replication shouldn't even sneeze at 75 groups being added. Um, the Kerberos token bloat concern is dr dramatically reduced because now we can eliminate 300,000, almost 300,000 groups that a user would have been a member of, which would eventually, over time, lead to Kerberos token bloat. We've eliminated that factor. Mm -hmm. And we've we've written that user out individually in as many places as we possibly can. That seems very, to be a, an important lesson of this story, this little parable in itself, that you're not just reducing the, the time or improving your, your sort of cost performance cost ratio. You're removing factors from consideration altogether. Yes, and the, and the goal is to just create efficiency. If we can yeah. remove as many factors in, in or concerns the to writing into active directory we've we've thought about it we've considered it and that's just one of several on a list that i mean i can discuss a whole bunch in detail but that's just kind of like the the tip of the iceberg when it comes to what we're able to do with active directory in order to mitigate risk but leverage the power of it at the same time so I, I recognize there's a whole world of stuff that we have not touched on uh, in our conversation today. But as we wrap up, when you think about advice you'd like to give to your users, like the most important thing a, a listener in this context uh, could walk away with from this conversation, what advice would you have them? Eight o'clock Monday morning, day one, it's a whole new world. They're going to approach their search security in a new way. What do you have them do? Oh, that's a good question. I think the first thing you would do in that scenario is... If you're planning on an enterprise search implementation, especially with SharePoint or especially with anything that leverages AD, and you have a whole bunch of items in source systems that have never been in that world. So, for example, you're a law firm and you've got a whole bunch of lawyers that for years have gone to a particular website and searched a particular system only in that system. And now you're going to open up a whole new world to them in terms of going to uh, for instance, a SharePoint portal and searching a whole bunch of different places all at once using only one point of, uh, of entry. You really want to focus on how your content is secured right now. So if, if you've got a legacy DMS, for example, and you're trying to call that into SharePoint, how is that stuff being secured right now? So if you have a whole bunch of groups that don't exist anymore, or you have a whole list of users in this source system and they've left the company years ago, or they're just not valid in any context anymore, go and perform maintenance and cleanup on your source systems. Because when you get into an enterprise search project, you will make it much that much more efficient and that much more easy to understand and simple if you were to do that homework and that cleanup work ahead of time. And invariably, what I find is customers decide, we're going to go to this enterprise search solution, and we just want you to take the stuff out of this old thing that we don't want to use anymore and put it into SharePoint. Well, what have we done in this old thing that we don't want to use anymore to make sure it's the best it can be before we start crawling it and working with it? So that's my, I think that's my primary recommendation for anyone that's going to start fresh on this approach. In the context of, of risks, when people are evaluating their existing security, how often does uh, security through obscurity still rear its head? You have scenarios where if you don't do this work ahead of time and you don't take a look at your source systems and how you're securing those items today, 
you could run into a, a nasty surprise. That could be an, um, a manifestation or it could manifest itself in the form of your HR department's salary spreadsheet being returned in a result set to one of your non-HR employees, which is like a nightmare scenario, right? Right. That's that's the <laughs> that's the uh, that's one of the, pro- the primary concern. I mean, obviously, that is the reason we have security, right? I mean, there's no need to have document security and grant and deny lists unless, if everybody can see everything, right? Yeah. If everybody can see everything, that if everybody can see everything, that makes it really simple. But if you if you don't take measures to at least take a health check of your whatever system it may be from time to time. If you don't do that work, you could end up with those nasty surprises. And that's one of the things that our connector framework hopes to help you with when it comes to crawling that information into SharePoint. How do I identify any gaps I have with my source system security? And how do I prevent those gaps from causing a problem such as the salary spreadsheet? This is a great conversation. I hope you will come back, if only to continue to teach me, to educate me on the complexities behind search security. Thanks so much, John, for your time. But where would you recommend people go if they want to learn more over at BA Insight, uh, I assume, but other resources you would share? I mean, you certainly want to visit BAinsight.com and take a look at our Connector Framework product and our connectivity product suite. But I think my favorite resource for this particular topic is TechNet Blogs and TechNet Social on Microsoft.com because you can see the problems that other people have had and you can see how Microsoft has recommended that they be solved and all the things that Microsoft has learned about Active Directory, I guess, and hence themselves through the process. And that has been valuable to me in terms of developing solutions for people that are working in a Microsoft world. Uh, if, if anything, we've learned anything about the Microsoft community. It is a rich community of, of people willing to share and, and support one another. I think that's a great resource. Oh, definitely. That's I think blogs and social.technet are really rich for that reason. You just have millions of people doing this stuff yeah. and, and learning things every day about it. Well, this has been great, John. Again, I, I hope this isn't the last time uh, I, I get to talk to you. Thanks for thanks for joining me here on uh, Shared Insights. Yeah, same here, Peter. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to the show. Remember, you can listen anytime over at BAinsight.com or subscribe for free in your podcast application of choice. On behalf of John Linker, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next time on Shared Insights, the podcast from BA Insight.